2: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Nikki Cannon, and we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about succeeding in leadership in the federal government. And joining us today to discuss issues of management, leadership, and success in the federal government, we have. Ira Goldstein, who's previously served in the federal government in a variety of roles, including positions with the GAO, the Social Security Administration, and the Office of the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Ira was also a director with Deloitte Services in the federal government practice and is the author of the newly released book, The Federal Management Playbook, Leading and Succeeding in the Public Sector. Good morning, Ira.
3: Thank you, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be here with you
2: thank you. We also have with us today the new president of the Senior Executives Association, Mr. Bill Valdez. Bill served as a senior executive at the Department of Energy and is currently an adjunct faculty member at American University School of Public Affairs, where he specializes in federal government evaluation and strategic planning. Bill also co-edited the Handbook of Federal Government Leadership and Administration. Thanks for being with us, Bill.
1: Thank you, and pleasure to be here.
2: <laughs> thank you guys both, and I just want to start, uh, I Want to dive right uh, into what we're going to talk about today uh, and the significance of your publications and Ira? I'm going to throw this to you first, but I really want to know what prompted you to compile all the knowledge you've gained through your years of work, both within the federal government and alongside of it at Deloitte.
3: Well, well, you know, Nikki. First, let me start by congratulating Bill on his on his new role and and his in his new job. And and I actually have a reason for that, other than just trying to be nice to <laughs> to my fellow commentator. Um, <clears throat> the Senior Executive Assoc I was a charter member of the Senior Executive oh, wow. Association when it was of cre- uh, the Senior Executive Service when it was created for the federal government many decades ago. And the Senior Executive Association and the Senior Executive Service provide that insight into the special skills and special management and leadership capability that it takes to be successful in managing the federal government as an enterprise. And that is the issue that prompted me to want to write this book. Uh, um, It turns out that when you uh, look, based on my almost 20 years of experience in the government and experience in consulting— it turns out that when you look at what the founding fathers did when they created our government, is create a government that was designed to protect freedom, but very, very hard to manage. And they did that deliberately. They did that because they wanted the the local organization in our country to be most powerful, and the federal government— to be least powerful. And so they fractured the management among three different branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial. They made it almost impossible for federal leaders to get anything done without making sure they had all the other branches covered. Um, Since then, there's been many things that have occurred that have made it even more difficult and more specialized to be successful as a manager. So I wrote the federal management playbook in order to be sort of a day-by-day blocking and tackling guide to what are the special skills that it takes to be successful. And when you look at it, and I did a lot of research for the book, when you look at the programs that have been successful, many more are successful than not. And yet the media doesn't cover it that way, and yet the popular attention is more drawn to the problems. And so uh, the target of the book is to say when there are successes and there are many of them what distinguishes them and if I'm trying to be a leader and a manager what should I do differently that will make me and my program more successful and that was the reason it is the reason for the book
1: Uh, thank you Ira and uh, you know when we were developing the handbook of federal government leadership and administration Uh, What was heavy on our mind was the gap in knowledge between the practitioners and the academics who are involved in the field of federal government leadership and administration. Uh, I was teaching a course at American University, and it occurred to me that my education on this subject was uh, very low and incomplete. And what we just heard from you, Ira, was a Ph.D. level summation of the origins (laughs) of the executive branch and the federal government. And you're absolutely correct. Um, Leading and managing in the federal government is extraordinarily difficult, complex, and requires um, a real knowledge of the history and theory behind uh, the evolution of the federal government. So when we developed the handbook, it was developed for pracademics. And pracademics are practitioners who also wish to have an understanding of the academics behind uh, the uh, uh, leadership and administration of the federal government. Now this is something that when you're coming up through the ranks, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, Ira. You don't get a course, you know, uh, federal government 101, right? (laughs) Uh, When you're in the uh, executive branch, Um, you learn by doing uh, primarily. You may have had an opportunity to go to a school of public policy or public administration. Uh, You may have an interest, just like you did, in studying the origins of the federal government. But in terms of any kind of Formalized knowledge uh, surrounding how the federal government evolved and became the extraordinarily complex organization that it is today. uh, There really is nothing out there, so that's why we decided to develop this book. It starts with a uh, look at the evolution of the of the executive branch and the reasons why we now have an executive branch that is, you know divided uh from the other two branches of government but works in close uh uh, association with those branches and we then said okay if that's the current situation what do we need to do to have a federal government that's responsive to 21st century challenges and uh that may be obvious, but the federal government, as you correctly noted, Ira, has been in existence for over 200 years, and uh, many of the laws, regulations, uh, pr- business processes of the federal government are go back 200 years. And what we have now, though, is a government that must be responsive to the types of exponential change that we're seeing in uh, the world uh, and be responsive and agile enough to be nimble enough to respond to those challenges. So I think both of the books actually complement each other very, very well. And uh, they are, uh, you know, good guides for uh, you know, the uh, existing federal manager and leader.
3: So this is really interesting um, to me uh, um, because, I, you know, we can expand the conversation a little bit in order to also understand the diversity uh, of players. It makes it even, even more difficult. During the 12 years that I ran the federal uh, civilian business at my firm, Deloitte, um, who provided a lot of the specialized expertise that ended up as part of the book, I also discovered that consultants and contractors are important players and is actually a part of the book that is tips for contractors and consultants. Um, And now we're in an environment where, and I hope we can discuss this a little later on, where you have a whole new wave of political appointees coming in. Mm. And so this point that Bill makes about Um, making sure everybody that comes in and out, the more flow you have of people coming in and out, whether it's GS-13s being promoted to 14s and 15s and up to the SES, they can become political appointees. And so contractors, consultants, political appointees, and the media, all of those people need to understand what what the success factors are. And then some of the same people who are involved come back into the government to run some things. And so I think um, having some some guidance on how to handle innovation in, a, in an environment that doesn't make it easy to innovate, on how to, how to handle risk. And you notice I don't say manage risk because managing risk implies that risk is bad and has to be kept down. Without mm-hmm. achieving risky things, you don't move forward on behalf of the taxpayers. So doing all of those things, that I think it's I think very important to have some literature out there that people can use on what are the best practices in doing those things.
2: And I hate to cut us off right now, but we are going to have to go to our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio. We'll continue with our discussion in a minute. Hey, welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Today, we're joined by Ira Goldstein and Bill Valdez, and we're talking about how to succeed as a leader in federal government. And you know, we touched on in the first segment what kind of prompted you guys to. To take on these these projects that are they're so needed especially at this point and that's what i really want to talk about is with our our current political and media climate and the negative effects it has on on public perception and what all it it generates in within legislation within the administrative side and how is it that these materials that you guys are, are putting out there are are going to give our leaders the tools to adapt and and succeed in this climate you know bill can, can you start us off? Yeah,
1: I mean, that's a great question, and it was actually one of the reasons why we wrote the book, uh, because we believe that public perceptions of the federal government are directly related uh, to a lack of understanding of the federal government. Um, so let's start with the basics. Ira mentioned that there are three branches of government, right? (laughs) And most Americans can name those branches of government, you know, the judiciary, the executive branch, and the Congress. Um, But what most people cannot tell you is, is what are the roles and responsibilities of those different entities and who is responsible for not just the failures of government but the successes of government. And if you think about it, uh, the executive branch is the portion of the government that is most in contact with the American taxpayer and U.S. citizens on a day-to-day basis, whether it's Social Security checks or you know, filling potholes in the road or education programs or science and technology programs. You know, the executive branch becomes the face of the federal government. And when there are failures and when there are successes, it is the executive branch that largely is the one that receives the attention. So without an understanding of how the federal government works and without understanding of the huge role of the executive branch, uh, there is a tremendous amount of misunderstanding of how the... Uh, successes and failures of government are, are developed and handled. Let me toss a couple of statistics out at you. Uh, the federal government um, is composed of uh, 2.6 million federal workers. Uh, and they have a budget. The executive branch has a budget of $3.8 trillion dollars. Uh, It reaches the lives, like I said, of every U.S. citizen. Uh, The National Institutes of Health has a budget of about $38 billion. That's larger than the GDP of 95 nations. Wow. Okay? So we're talking about a scale and scope of operations that is extraordinary. And uh, yet... There is no real understanding of how a unified executive branch operates and what it takes to be a leader in that environment. And that's the subjects that I think Ira and I touch upon in our book and why we think it's so essential to have these handbooks and these guides uh, for the, you know, playbooks for emerging leaders because, It is so complex. It is so overwhelming uh, to the governance of the federal government uh, that uh, without some help like this, uh, uh,
3: bad things can and will happen. So my focus, I guess I should start by saying I'm an engineer, I'm trained as an engineer, and if I can't figure out how to tie the dots from A to B to C to D, I'm uncomfortable with that. And and and, and my focus is a little bit more about how do you get it done today. Um, and so I I tend to think of it as with any team, you have to understand what the activities are that you have to do to create an offensive strategy. Mm-hmm. Whether I like to joke to create an offensive strategy that doesn't offend people. <laughs> but in any team, not just sports teams, but any team, you have to know how to play offense. And then you have to execute well, and I, and I structure it this way in the book. And then you have to know what steps to do to execute it well, especially so you'll know the difference between, you know, when things go wrong, and in, in government things always go wrong, you have to mm-hmm. know the difference between whether you had a great strategy but it didn't get executed very well, or whether you need to change your strategy. And then the third one, which is in some respects my, fam- my my favorite one, is how do you play a good defense when when GAO and I was assistant controller general at GAO when GAO comes to call, how are you going to defend what you did? Are you going to fight with them or are you going to try to co opt them? And 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 that kind of approach um, leads to successes. Leads to successes. I also found that there were four dimensions to those people who were successful and to programs. One is have you done something to define what your goals will be in an environment, as Bill said, I think very eloquently, in an environment which is, you know, um, peopled by lots of interests that will try to change what, what you think you should do. You have to state what your goals will be and then measure yourself publicly against those goals. You have to understand the va- – the, and there are four of them, so goals is one. Second is understanding the resources that you have. Don't get trapped into a situation. Nobody ever gets as much resources as, as they need. So if you're gonna give me less than I, than I really need, then my initial output is gonna be a little lower, mm-hmm. but on a, in a longer time frame, I can build it. I'll come back to you to get more resources for that. So resources is second and understanding not to get trapped into that trap of promising the world and then getting mm-hmm. half of the resources you need. Thirdly, stakeholders, and especially in a transition who are the powerful stakeholders? Because they're going to drive your resources and they're going to drive your success. And not just the program resources, but also the stakeholders that drive that are important to you personally. Um, and in the case we're coming into, if you are uh, in the government and the administration's changing, who are the important stakeholders to the new administration? And lastly, understand timeframes. And I like to think of it as a two-four-eight. I call it two-four-eight timeframes. Administrations have two years to get something done before the midterm election. <laughs> they have four years to get something done before the president runs for re election, because every president who starts a first term intends to run for re election. <laughs> and the third one is eight years before we have to secure the president's legacy. And if you can plan your agenda around those, um, and it's complicated, but that's why I think you have to do it, you know, sort of offense execute in defense and and i think that's to me those are the things that have driven the most successful programs no i
1: mean ira is absolutely correct i mean and i appreciate the engineering aspect of this (laughs) uh, because um in my experience you really do have to take a very process oriented um, uh, look at the management of the uh, federal government what we did uh, in the Handbook of Federal Government Leadership and Administration was really more focus on leadership. What is it that distinguishes the modern 21st century leader uh, versus a manager? And they're very complementary, uh, but uh, if you think about it, the... Um, uh, The very top of the leadership chain in the federal government uh, is composed of two different elements. One is the political leadership, and unbeknownst to most individuals, politicals uh, in the government, And here we're talking about the 4,000 to 5,000 people that any administration brings into office, will... uh, set the agenda that is executed by the uh, uh, federal government. Um, they decide what, how to, how to uh, implement the president's agenda and the policies that will be implemented. It's the career SES that are the ones that implement that policy in that administration. And so we at the Senior Executive Association are highly focused on how we can help that career political interface work more effectively. And there was actually a a great article in today's Washington Post uh, that talked about uh, just let the career people do their jobs. <laughs> and it's a novel uh, idea, right? <laughs> right, a very novel idea. Um, and that the Trump administration has an opportunity uh, to really take advantage of the kinds of uh, executive uh, skills that are in the private sector where you have a management team, a leadership team come in, set the agenda, and then let the, your, your career, your knowledgeable SES execute that. So it's really a teamwork between the career SES and uh, the leadership of the new administration, but that's not necessarily something that people focus on at the beginning of an administration. And uh, when I was teaching at American University in the Key Leadership Program, you know that's what we tried to prepare. Uh, Incoming uh, GS 14s and 15s to do, to be leaders who could execute uh, the administration's policies. That's not an easy thing to do, and I think yeah. we're going to be talking a little bit more about that soon, right, Nikki?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, those those folks at the top are to tie this back into you know where we started. Kind of is those folks at the top are, are the folks who are are driving that that public perception. They're the folks that are most in engaged in where we've we've come to at this point where we we see the hyper-partisanship. Those are the people that all of this falls back to a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you for 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 tying that in.
3: What's really, I, I agree with, with Bill as well, um, what's really fascinating about this the leadership issue is um, that you can't go find a course somewhere on th- on leadership that will teach you all you need to be able to know <laughs> and do. You can learn the blocking and tackling of it Um, But, you know, you have to learn to be a leader through trial and error, through through listening. You know, I like to say the first three things in being a leader is to listen, listen, and then listen again. And Colin Powell (laughs) said you can't be a leader without followers. And so one of the key elements about leadership is— um, taking care of your people, dealing with how well they can do in a new administration, um, and there's—I I agree. There's a common interest between the political appointees coming in at a policy leadership role and the career leaders. Uh, one author termed it uh, "pracademics," um, or "executocrats." Another author called it who, who then have to be leaders of the of the career as well. And so uh, this is a this is an important moment in time in a transition to for leadership at both levels to be able to work together.
1: Yeah, so the, the thing that struck us when we were preparing the handbook on federal government leadership is that leadership, as you said, Ira, really is not taught as a basic skill uh, when you're coming up through the ranks. And so at the Senior Executive Association, one of the things that we are going to be doing is using the insights and knowledge from our handbook and from your playbook (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, to develop um, what we're going to call a superstar leadership program. You know, the people who really want, you know, early in their careers to become, you know, passionate public servants uh, to contribute to the common good and know it from the beginning, uh, and we will find ways to nurture them uh, through their journey to become a leader in the federal government.
2: So, to Ira's point, that there, there's no leadership course, you two are actually working to fix that, right? You guys yep. are, but you're working <laughs> together to get that started for us.
3: It might take a day or two. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the transition. Thank you guys for, for uh, hanging out with us today. You guys, you are listening to Fed Talk on 1500 AM. We will be back from a, with, after a word from our sponsor.
0: if you're a federal manager you deal with a lot of information here's a tip on breaking through the noise join the federal managers association to have a voice on capitol hill and to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report fedmanager.com i'm todd wells executive director of the federal managers association and i approve this message
2: Thank you for joining us today on Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Today we're talking about leadership in the federal government and what you need to know to succeed in those positions. And Bill and Ira, you guys talked a little bit about uh, the transition and the importance uh, of having these tools to succeed in this time. And I think the transition, at any transition, is a time where, where people are a little bit uh, more in tune to to what needs to. be be done a little bit going forward, and what is it that we can do a little bit more of because it's it's an uncertain time. Can you guys talk a little bit about where your books fit into uh, the transition for, for folks today who, who are looking for this advice? Ira?
3: Well, I'll tell you, Nikki, um, in the Federal Management Playbook, um, I have a specific section that is called Tips to political appointees on how to get the most from the career civil servants followed by a section called tips to career civil servants on how to get the most from political appointees and it and it is it, it is the book's response and my response to people who urged that I deal with that interface between the politics which is an important part that's how the people express their desire for leadership is through the political process and the career who have a, a critical role in making it work and helping it to happen. And the skills that it takes start with both parts of that organization and, and, and both groups understanding that they can't get their job done well without the other. I interviewed a lot of people for the book, and every, without exception, every single political – a lot of them career, a lot of them political appointees, a lot of them consultants, a lot of them um, other advisors – to a person, every career person and every political appointee started by saying, I could not have gotten my job done, especially the political appointees all said, I could not get my job done if I didn't have the career people on my side. And so the advice that they started to give is if you're coming in as an appointee, um, as odd as it may sound, understand what the president wants, but then understand how the career civil service can get you there. They will want to be helpful to you because people in the career leadership ranks are motivated by the desire to do the best job for the people of our country. And so <clears throat> advice number one to – it's, and it's in the book under, under what I call key takeaways. Advice mm-hmm. point number one is explain to the career people what the goals are and why so that we can understand if we're career personnel um, why it is the president made that commitment, what it is I can do to be helpful. On the career side of it, be a tour guide. Um, it's it it it's a great phrase. I adopted it from you know from somebody else who was a mentor of mine. <laughs> be a tour guide. If you have a whole lot of people approaching an area that you know and they're new and they're in the new administration, and there will be four thousand of them yeah. coming on board, not all at once, but they'll be approaching, you know, in months and, and, and quarters. Um, take them by the hand and show them the ropes. Help them understand. The the, the not so subtle advantage for yourself is You get every opportunity then to demonstrate your knowledge and value. And so when you come down to that and you can give each other the courtesy of uh, recognizing common goals, in the end, it's the people of the country who benefit from that, and you make more progress that way.
1: Yeah, Ira, again, is absolutely correct. Um, When he was talking about the – the political saying that we could not have done this uh, without the help of the career uh, leadership, he left out one point that usually is made, which is that they say that after having gone through two years, three years in the government, and the first year they probably didn't listen <laughs> to the career folks, uh, but they came to depend upon them. Because there's always this initial you know, dance that happens when you have a uh, new political come in, whether it's midterm, whether it's you know at the start of a new administration, uh, this is a new leader. Uh, and the new leader has new ideas about how to run an organization. And it's just human nature to suspect that the crowd that came before didn't do as good a job as you will do as the new leader. And there's some skepticism about the people that were there before. And so one of the things that we have tried to do as a senior executive association is to ease that transition. So we have provided a couple of handbooks that are up on our website that are handbook of transition for the senior uh, politicals and then a handbook on transition for senior career uh, individuals. And then we've had a number of webinars uh, where we have uh, explored this topic in some depth. And what we have found is that there is this initial skepticism, this initial dance that occurs, uh, but that um, uh, eventually, you know, one of two things happens, Uh, either the... uh, Politicals learn that they must depend upon the career SES uh, to be successful or they're not successful uh, because they cannot do it alone. If you think about the magnitude of these organizations, um, in any agency, you're going to only have, you know, two, three hundred maximum political appointees in the uh, in the organization. And in many, you don't have any, like IRS. They have one or two political appointees. National Science Foundation has one political appointee. So you're, by definition, relying upon the career staff to help you uh, be successful. The sooner that realization hits, uh, the better off the federal government and the U.S. taxpayer will be. So that's why we focus on this career and senior political transition so heavily both in um, uh, the handbook of federal government leadership and administration and then also uh, in the work that we've done through the Senior Executive Association.
3: So I think Bill and I agree on a lot of things, but not on everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my, my experience, and, and um, if you look at some of the program experience, is that uh, most of the transitions with the heaviest preponderance of um, uh, political appointees who come in, most of those people start with sufficient wisdom to embrace and accept the value of the career of civil service. I think the media tends uh, to play up the places where there were frictions. Um, When I was at Social Security and we changed administrations, the The new leadership came in and and they started by accepting the value of the group that was there, not to create policies that would be different to a new administration. And similarly, in other in other changes, I do think that career people can do some important things to facilitate that happening. One thing is, get very knowledgeable in what it is that um, that the president has committed to and what it is your role can be to help that become aware of the positives and negatives, and figure out what it is that the new appointees can do that will help you achieve your goals in in managing and leading the career staff that that you lead. The other thing that I like uh, as a as a technique for both to adapt is give credit generously to one another. Makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense when you come in as an appointee to acknowledge the positives if you're the new transportation secretary recognize that the FAA has done a darn good job at keeping us safe in the skies. Yeah. If you're a career civil servant, um, recognize that the president's new team wants to get some credit fel- relatively quickly and think about what you can do to help them be successful. Um, with, with a few exceptions, I've found that that tends to work pretty well and that it also leads to a faster and, 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 and happier environment.
1: No, I I think you're absolutely right. uh, There's been a strong focus in the uh, federal government recently about employee engagement. Mm -hmm. And what exactly does that mean? Employee engagement happens at all different levels, but it has certain characteristics to it. One is communication. You know, is uh, the political leadership and the senior career leadership communicating (laughs) Uh, their goals and their uh, priorities, you know, throughout whatever agency they are working in. Uh, but it's a two way street because the communication has to come up from the career staff as well, up through uh, the career uh, SES to the political leadership. That's what engagement is. It's a tag team. You know, it's it's a it's a sport um, where you have you know physical contact sport, where you have regular engagement uh, between the lowest levels of the bureaucracy in the policy and um, programmatic decisions uh, that affect the agency's working processes. That's how you get happy employees if they feel that they are engaged. You know, Ira talked about stakeholders. You know, uh, the primary stakeholder in an agency is the employees, and uh, sometimes we forget that, and we forget to include them in you know the major initiatives and reward, recognize them, value their opinions and their advice. Um, But the sooner we can get those kinds of engagements going uh, between the new administration and the career staff, uh, the better off we'll be as a federal government.
3: One of the things that – this is an interesting point. One of the things that – we should recognize is the transition we're confronting now is is not unprecedented. It it, it, it clearly the election was a very different kind of election, mm-hmm. and everybody now is using that as a as an insight to um, whether the transition in a new administration would be very different. Um, we have you know in the transition. From um, the Carter administration to the Reagan administration years ago, there was comparable angst about changes in, in policy and changes in approach. Um, and so in that kind of change, uh, people get very anxious. They get concerned. Yeah. It's valuable to understand that this transition will continue for 6 to 12 months and that there will be plenty of time to for our leaders uh, in the government and our leaders coming into the government to negotiate what makes sense in terms of managing well and to work with one another and that learning does take place while that happens and that in in the end I, I agree with this point Bill made in the end the accommodation that you find between the two um, really helps uh, you know the government's primary stakeholders which are the taxpayers of our of our country um, and if you look at being politically insightful, if you're a career person, not politi- not be politicized, but be politically insightful, you can help the new team be successful as well.
2: And we're going to have to take our last break uh, right now. So uh, to hear a word from our sponsor, you are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are listening, we're entering the last segment of our show and we are joined today by Ira Goldstein and Bill Valdez who are talking about their recent publications on how to succeed as a leader in federal government. And we've covered a lot in this show. You know, we've covered what is it that that encouraged you to put together these books? What is it um, that our, our audience should know about you know how to deal with the current political climate, how to deal with the media and, and the perception of government and, and public perception, in addition to what is it that folks should know going into this transition? And I just kind of want to give you guys the opportunity, I'm, we've touched on so much, but I'm sure you guys have a wealth of knowledge. You know what else is there that we should know going forward with our federal leaders um, that will help them you know through this time and beyond in our future federal leaders? And where can, we, where can we get your books at?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ira?
3: Well, um, let me start by saying four threads came through as I finalized the federal management playbook. One was that the dynamic elements of success, being clear on your goals, being clear on the powerful stakeholders, being clear on resources, and being clear on timeframes, interrelate to one another, and they are constantly changing. And the people who are successful are the people who know how to pivot. It's become my favorite word. My wife has threatened to put me in the study and lock the door if I use it anymore. (laughs) Everything is about pivot for me right now because um, successful leaders keep track of those four things, and they make changes when any one of them changes, and things change dynamically. Um, An example would be why was the Obamacare website launch a problem? Regardless of your belief about Obamacare, everybody agrees the website didn't work well because they didn't pivot when things changed, and the decennial census did, and they had a massive success. And so uh, thread number one is don't fight the changes that occur. Make changes to accommodate what changes occur in resources and in people and so forth. Secondly, be clear to define your own program goals, even if it's in disagreement to other people, so that you have established a beachhead for what you will consider success or not. Don't allow everybody else to tell you what the goals are. You will always be chasing somebody else's desire for goals. Thirdly, and, and I don't mean this in any cute way, use a threat or a crisis to your advantage. Um, when the administration was approaching the year 2000 technology crisis, they waited until the very last minute to uh, launch a federal program. And they did it in the middle of 1998. The, the change was only 18 months away. And they did it very late because there wasn't a sense of crisis. And when yeah. you don't have enough resources like we never do in, in government – Using a good crisis, somebody said never let a good crisis go to waste to get more resources and to do it well, and that's why the decennial census was was so successful. They got $3.4 billion added because there was a sense of technology crisis around. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, people are your most important resource, and communications is your most important tool. And if you master how to motivate people... Mm -hmm and how to communicate well, um, you're starting with the strongest suit for success. And that's my, that would be my, um, my advice to people. I would say in terms of getting the book, uh, here in the Washington area, you can get the book at Politics and Prose or at Kramer Books and Afterwards, or you can get it on Amazon or uh, on the Georgetown Press website, any one of those. The Federal Management Playbook, Leading and Succeeding in the Public Sector, is the name. <laughs> um, uh,
1: so let me start off with that. You can get the Handbook of Federal Government Leadership and Administration on, ha- on Amazon. Uh, and uh, But you can also get it through the Key Leadership Program. Uh, students who go through that program at American University, uh, uh, it now is part of the curriculum of the program. And uh, the leadership ideas and practices that are contained in the book are going to be, you know, contained, are going to be put into the curriculum, you know, of the program. So I encourage everybody to, you know, participate in that kind of program. Uh, but, you know, I just said the handbook of federal government leadership and administration. Boring, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, And uh, uh, But the subtext of the book is called Transforming, Performing, and Innovating in a Complex World. And that's what I want to leave with folks uh, uh, today about the federal government. Most people think of the federal government as the Titanic, right? That it's large, slow-moving, occasionally runs into icebergs. Uh, (laughs) and um, is very, very difficult to change course. Nothing could be further from the truth. Absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. Some of the greatest innovations in our society have been a result of the federal government. I worked at the Department of Energy for 20 years. It has, um, lays claim to 85 Nobel laureates uh, in physics and chemistry uh, the National Science Foundation uh, is recognized throughout the world as one of the greatest uh, public entities uh, for innovation. The National Institutes of Health does tremendous work on curing disease. Yeah. Um, the Social Security Administration, uh, on a routine basis, and Ira knows this, sends out how many million Social Security checks uh, per uh per month, I or, think north of 50. Yeah, without complaint and accurately, with a high degree of accuracy. You know, these are the kinds of uh, business processes and innovations uh, that every U.S taxpayer should be proud of. And they come about because the federal workforce has learned to innovate has learned to perform, and has transformed itself throughout its history in very positive ways. Um, One of the chapters uh, that we have in the book uh, is by Avery Sen, and it's uh, called The Entrepreneurial Species Within the Federal Government. And you think, entrepreneurial species within the federal government. I mean, that that's, must be an oxymoron, contradiction in terms, you know, choose your poison. But they exist. They exist. Uh, one of my colleagues is David Bray at the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, he's the CIO there. His uh, uh, Twitter handle, I think, is called hashtag change agent because he's one of a large cadre of individuals within the federal government that are true change agents, and they exist. There's another aspect to this. Um, Every four years or every change of administration, we have what essentially is a hostile takeover (laughs) of the federal government, uh, just like you might have in the public sector. And in the private sector, you know, when a corporation changes its its leadership, and maybe it's not so hostile. And and Ira and I agree or disagree on the hostility that might may exist, you know, uh, during these takeovers. But the fact of the matter is, is that every four years uh, or eight years, you're guaranteed a change in leadership, and that change in leadership comes with new policies, new programs, new ways of doing business. And it's an incredibly diverse, complex uh, set of operating conditions that career uh, officials have to deal with on a regular basis. They're the ones who have to transform, to evolve, to innovate, and to perform successfully given the uh, 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 mandates of the new political leadership. And that's why we, you know, put that subtext in here and why we think it's so important to have a 21st century federal leadership core that is continuing in that uh, intentional way to be able
3: to transform, innovate, and evolve. Leadership in a transition, I agree, leadership in a transition is going to be heavily about innovation, heavily about reaching across the divide and making it happen. Um, I think there's more that will be common than, than people realize. I think that being a great leader involves capitalizing on the opportunity that you're now presented, um, bring positive solutions to the new team, I think as Bill alluded to, um, and maybe be generous in giving credit to others, both laterally and 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 more senior to you, about some new ideas. And um, if I were to go back into the government right now, I would be understanding what it is that can take um, the president's program and make it successful, and then using innovative tools in order to do that. It's a great opportunity, and, and I agree with Bill on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Where there's chaos, there's opportunity. And... Um, I I have talked with a number of my colleagues who are still in government about how they are responding to the Trump administration's initiatives, and to a person, they're thinking exactly what Ira said, how do I change in a way that is true to the mission of the agency that I'm working in, but achieves the administration's requirements? It can be done- And that's what true leadership is all about. Uh,
3: Can we, before we conclude, as we started in a broader framework than the transition, Mm -hmm. um, that that the transition is a normal event in government, but that the longer-term importance of both political appointees and career leaders is to execute their programs well and to serve the population. To be innovative where you can, um, but to understand that if you're gonna have organizational dynamics that work, that you have to have basic skills, you have to be able to negotiate in the political environment, you have to get the right level of resources, and that people who do that well um, are gonna do that well in a new administration as well as an older administration. And from a longer term perspective, um, you know, we should not be biased by just viewing this transition. This is not the end and the beginning of government as we know it in America. <laughs> this is a normal constitutional process. And that uh, I, I, when I talk to groups live, I like to urge them to be uh, understanding that government as a whole will continue to perform to the to the benefit of the population and that our role as career civil servants or as political appointees is to adapt a, and adopt a longer-term perspective so that we meet the goals that the taxpayers want us to meet.
2: And I think that is a great note. To end on Ira, thank you, Ira and Bill, so much for joining us today. You guys can find the Federal Management Playbook: Leading and Succeeding in the Public Sector, and the Handbook of Federal Government Leadership and Administration out near you. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, and we will see you all in the new year.